Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 105. That's 105 of SAMA. <laughs> a program which invites an expert each week to discuss their area of expertise. And this week, we're delighted to have Lauren Lockman to tell us about fasting for health and longevity. Lauren is the founder and director of the Tanglewood Wellness Centre in Costa Rica. Uh, you began studying the relationship between nutrition and health back in 1977. And for 22 years, Lauren has led more than 2,000 people through water fasting of one week to nine weeks duration and coached more than 2,000 others to get health. Lauren is a nature enthusiast, a Reiki master, a certified permaculture instructor, a poet, the author of a children's story, a body surfer and a beginner body surfer, a board surfer, I mean, an animal lover, and most importantly, I think animal lover is the most important, and most, well, you, <laughs> what I've got to say here, most importantly, a motorcycle enthusiast. Uh, <laughs> you've, been vegan, you've been a raw vegan for 28 years. 27 and a half, 27 and a half years last month, was wow. a half year anniversary. I've uh, been vegan now for about 32 years. Wow, wow. Wow. And, and, by, and by the way, I mean, it's, it's minor details. I apologize. I sent you guys the bio. It's actually outdated. We're, we're, I've, I've actually worked with more than 10,000 clients now, more than 5,000 fasting and more than 5,000 coaching. Good gracious. As yeah. I was looking at this introduction, I was thinking there's a lot of numbers in here, a lot of large numbers too. <laughs> and now you've just reinforced my original thoughts from 2,000 and 10,000. That's remarkable. There's yeah. another number which is up in this introduction, which I haven't finished, by the way. Nope. <laughs> but, but you haven't been sick for 31 years. I guess it's 31 and a half years now for the old boy. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually more like 32. Good gracious. Yeah. Good gracious. And then you're going to tell me it's something to do with fasting, right? <laughs> well, I think, I think fasting might have had something to do with it. It's part of it. <laughs> Gosh, it's, isn't it amazing? So, welcome to the show. <laughs> thank, you, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Well, you know, having using your last comments as a jumping off point, perhaps, I would start out by pointing out that animals in nature, uh, it's estimated, uh, my understanding is there's about 25,000, 25 million species on the planet, most of which are insects. Yes. Um, and that animals in nature typically live at an amazingly high level of health. Yes. Obviously, some of them have, have to worry about predators and other issues, but, but they, don't, they don't get a lot of heart disease in nature. There's not so much arthritis or diabetes as far as science, uh, scientists can see. Right. And what I would suggest is that functioning at an incredibly high level of health is our natural birthright. What I've accomplished, I believe anybody can accomplish. And I've helped thousands of people achieve an amazing level of health. I, I think it's really available to almost everyone. Um, it's just a question of giving your body the chance to do what it needs to do. Right. Now, when people think fasting, they think not eating. Mm -hmm. Now, how true is this? Is, is, is that over, uh, it must be an oversimplistic view of it. Well, uh, it, it, I mean, first of all, yes, fasting definitely involves not eating. I think the mistake that some people make is, is to say that that's all it involves, as long as you're not eating, you're fasting. Yes. And, and while technically that may be true, if you're fasting, you know, if you look at an animal who's fasting to heal itself, I don't know if you've ever seen this, John, but if you have a cat or a dog that's ever gotten sick enough, it will lie down and stop eating. It will refuse food. It's not a question of being able to get to the food. You can put a bowl of food right in front of a sick animal and they won't touch it. They won't even look at it mm. because they instinctively know that processing food takes most of the body's energy. And so what they do when they need to heal is they instinctively avoid eating. And that sounds crazy to so many people. So many people think, well, you have to eat. I mean, in fact, you, know, you might have been told as a kid, if you were sick, honey, you have to eat to keep up your strength, yes, right? Yes, yes. But but that's absolutely not true. Gosh. And 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 yet, you know, we've we've come so far from our own natural instincts that most of us, it's not, it's no longer an innate thing. It's something that we have to relearn how to do. But 
it's not, it hasn't always been that way. I mean, this was something that people once understood. I'm sure you're familiar with Hippocrates. Yes, 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 yes. I don't mean personally. You, you look like yeah, you're was, probably younger. Talking, well, this is what, th what threw me and why I had a bit of a pause there. I was thinking, do I know him personally? And, I, and do I remember, when did I last talk to him? I think, well, no, I don't. But <laughs> he's, he's been gone for a few years now. Mm. Uh, he was considered the first Western doctor. And, and most people, and probably including many of your listeners, already know that uh, he, he's famous for having said a couple of things. One of them was, let your food be your medicine and your medicine your food. And a lot of people think that means, or they've interpreted that to mean, that you should eat medicinal herbs, that you should look for foods that will heal you. What most people don't know is what the rest of that sentence was, what he said right after those words. Because the next thing he said, he, what he said was, let your food be your medicine and your medicine your food. But to feed yourself when you're sick is to feed your sickness. Oh, really? I've been, I haven't heard that one. Gosh. Wow. Yeah. So Hippocrates was, in his day, fasting is what people did. If you wanted to, to learn math with some of the masters, again, back, you know, the, the Greeks, um, you had to fast for six weeks before they would take you as a student because they didn't want to waste their time with people that weren't thinking as clearly as possible. So, you know, if you look at the enlightened spiritual masters that we're aware of, uh, Jesus, Buddha, Lao Tzu, Muhammad, um, even Moses, all fasted for six weeks, every one of them. Uh, were they enlightened because they did that? I don't know. But it's, it's hard to ignore the fact that this is a, a common thread. It is. It is most remarkable. Yeah. So in any case, I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt you. What were you going to say? Uh, oh, well, was it anything of significance? But it's just going to pass. Okay. The, it's going to pass the comment that when you feel sick, you don't feel like eating, and that must be a natural. Well, that's right. It, it, it is. It's completely natural, and yet, you know, again, I mean, going going back to when we were kids, uh, you didn't feel well. You really didn't want to eat, and yet, you're, that, that's why your mother said, "Honey, you have to eat to keep up your strength." because you didn't want to. Yes. Each of us instinctively has no desire for food if we're sick enough. And, and in fact, there's a school of thought, there's some folks who say, well, you should only fast if you instinctively don't want to eat. Yes. And that's, that, that makes some sense. It's part of the picture. The reason it doesn't make complete sense is because while it's absolutely true that where there's an acute crisis, acute symptoms, whatever it is, a high fever, a sore throat, nausea, there's no desire for food. Unfortunately, we're no longer dealing with acute crises as the primary issue. The primary issue is, is chronic disease. Mm -hmm. And it took me, I'm embarrassed to tell you, with all these years I've been involved in studying health and nutrition, it took me probably 20 years to realize that we are actively or passively perhaps you know, we don't know what we're doing, so it's not active like I'm going to go do this, but we are creating chronic disease every time we treat symptoms, whether it's drugs or it's herbs or it's almost anything else. I would argue that there's only one thing that heals the body. And I was over in uh, Ireland years ago on a lecture tour, and I said, I said, there's only one thing on the planet that can heal your body. And someone tentatively raised her hand and said, you? <laughs> it's not me. I'm not a healer. Um, the body heals itself. Every organism is self-healing. And so what makes fasting so powerful is that it's simply allowing us to get out of the body's way so that it can heal itself. This is what every species does when it's sick enough. It's nature's way of allowing the organism to heal. And a lot of people are going to be reacting to this because, A, Going without food scares people, right? I mean, I, I talk to people about this. And I, you know, I think most people seem to think that if they skip lunch, they'll probably die, right? But, you know, if you, if you look at nature, I mean, think about, look at, look at a pregnant polar bear. Mm -hmm. when, the, when the females get pregnant, 
what they do is that the males don't hibernate, the females go into a den where they spend the entire winter, five months, without eating or drinking anything. During that time, they birth typically a pair of cubs and breastfeed them without consuming anything. Okay, just living off their own body fat, which is why we have most of it, right? So um, you, you look like you're fairly lean, as am I, but we still both have reserves because we only need about 2 to 2.5% two body fat to survive. We have to have some body fat to survive, but chances are good you've got more than that. Okay, and, and I do too. I mean, my, my body is around 6% body fat. Most of the people we measure here, probably average men and women are probably somewhere average around 25%. So at least most people are carrying 10 times more body fat than they need just to survive day to day. Why does the body store that fat? They store it because in nature, there are floods and fires and droughts and freezes, depending on where you are, not so much here in Costa Rica. But these kinds of conditions exist where there may not be much food available. Animals sometimes have to go a long time without having a meal. And so we store body fat so we can live, we can survive in the absence of food. And so it's, it's funny because people immediately think, if you don't eat for a day, you're starving. No, you're living on the body fat that you stored specifically for this purpose. That's why we have it. And, and like every other species, I mean, how tragic would it be if, in fact, you died if you skipped lunch? Yeah, do you hear about Bobby got stuck in traffic? There was nothing. He's, he's <laughs> it's too bad. He, you know, if he had just had a little bit more for breakfast, he might have made it till the next truck stop. But he, that was it for him, right? Uh, it doesn't work that way. Um, the average human body can go six to eight weeks without a meal if someone knows what they're doing, if this is done properly. And, and people who are, as I like to say, wealthy in nutrient reserves, yes. right? Th those people can often go much longer. In fact, the, the record, world record recorded, I mean, maybe this, someone's gone longer, but the, the recorded record is 382 days without a meal. How did the story end? I think he ate. And did, okay. and did the, no, no, he, 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 he no, 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 no. There was actually, there was one medical study where uh, supervised by MDs who typically don't know the first thing about fasting, but they took a group of people who were four or 500 pounds or more and fasted them for an average of, I think, five or six months. And yeah, um, someone did die in their seventh month, but they were ignoring the obvious clue that the body sends them when it's time to eat. It's called hunger. Because although most people imagine that they're hungry, they're like, I can't, well, how, you know, that sounds horrible being hungry all that time. You're not hungry. Your body's feeding on its reserves. So there's no call for food. Although I suppose I need to correct uh, a mistaken impression that many people probably virtually everybody has most people think that when they don't eat and they so their their belly their stomach is growling or they feel weak or they feel tired or they feel emotional or they feel angry or they get dizzy or any of these things that, that people think are hunger none of these things have anything to do with the need for food not one of them in fact, imagine for a second that we were still living in the tropical jungle, not, not in a beautiful building in the tropical jungle as I live, but in the jungle itself with the other species. Imagine that that's what happened and we, maybe we, we injured something and so we're resting for a week or, or more under a tree. We don't have any food. We're fine. We've got reserves. But being hungry means you feel weak and dizzy and tired and you can't, you no know, strength. And so now we, we, when we're ready to go find food, we don't have the strength to do that. That wouldn't end very well. You know, when the, the polar bear emerges from her den at the end of that five month rest, on average, she's got to hike 75 miles to get her first meal. So the moral there is not, don't, don't come back as a polar bear <laughs> in your next life. But the thing, but you can't compare different species 
like we don't hibernate or most of us don't hibernate maybe teenagers do for a few years but that's only a, a transient stage the um but there's the thing about nutrients if you're not eating if you're fasting or be in a water fasting or a or you know whatever liquid which we'll be discussing i hope soon you're not getting the nutrient intake it's true you're not so isn't that a problem it's not not when it's done properly um i mean again there are limitations but but the limitations are surprising so Where's your, your uh, you're in China. Yes. But you don't appear that you're a native. Uh, no, no, I, um, I, I've chosen China as a home. And I'm, it sounds I'm, like your family might have come from the UK? No, oh, my, my, my parents, yeah, from the UK, yes. Okay, so you, you're probably aware that English sol uh, sailors were called limeys. Yes, yes. Do you know why? Uh, because they used to take lime to stop themselves getting uh, scurvy. That's right. Because what what happened was before they figured that out, you know, they they leave port with as much fresh food and vegetables as they could keep fresh. I mean, it's it's at sea. It's not going to last more than five to seven days, and then most of it, they're you know, if they haven't eaten it, it's, it's no good anymore. Right. And so, and by the time they would sail across the sea, uh, you know, I'm guessing it, we're talking about months. Yes. And, and so they, there was no source of vitamin C. Vitamin C is only found in fresh foods. Mm -hmm. And they couldn't keep things fresh. What they were eating for most of the journey was rice and beans. And they could, they could take flour and bake bread, and they could, they could eat rice and beans, which would keep for a long, long time if they could keep it dry, et cetera. But they had no fresh food, and so they were all developing scurvy. And they realized that limes could keep for a long time, and just a little bit of lime juice in their food every day, and they could... Uh, stave off from developing scurvy. It only takes four to six weeks to develop scurvy. Gosh. Over the last 22 and a half years, I've taken more than 500 people six weeks or longer. I mean, my average client fast is 26 days. This is 26 days on only water. That's typical. That's average here. But I've had more than 500 people go six weeks or longer. No one's ever developed scurvy hmm. or any other deficiency disease. Right. So something changes in the, in fact, everything changes. We move into fasting physiology instead of feeding physiology. And the body's needs for nutrients is completely different. In fact, there's some things that would probably shock most people, but I'll tell you a quick story. I'll give you an example of this. Years ago, I had, uh, I'd done a full day seminar outside of Phoenix, Arizona in the U.S. And a month or two later, I got an email from a young woman that said, Lauren, I was at your seminar. Uh, it was, of course, she said it was amazing, the most incredible thing I've ever seen. Um, and she said, I'd like to come fast with you. I'm intrigued, but I'm a little concerned because my practitioner, I think it was a naturopath, she said, put, put me on a high dose of magnesium. I had this magnesium deficiency and I had all kinds of symptoms. And I started taking these supplements and, and now I'm fine, but I have to supplement every day. And I'm pretty sure you said no supplements while you're fasting. I said, that's right. You can't take anything while you're fasting. Because if you're taking calories or nutrients, your body comes out of fasting physiology. You don't get the same benefits. There's a whole cascade of beneficial physiological changes. For instance, only with about 20 hours into a fast, something I do every day, your body is producing, is, is, you're walking around with roughly... 30,000 times, 30, excuse me, 30,000 uh, percent. Yeah, um, about 30 times the normal amount of human growth hormone, which is called the youthing hormone. And so when fasting for 21, 26, 30 days or so, you're literally growing younger physiologically. And, and this is demonstrable, not something you and I can necessarily see, although most people look much younger as a result of the process. Uh, most people, we actually, it's interesting, in fact, there comes a point, and it's different for each person. It doesn't happen for everyone. But a lot of people, I'll see it at 20, you know, 19, 20 days, 18 days, somewhere in the process, one day, they'll, they'll come out every day for a, a lecture. 
And afterwards, we get everyone's vital signs. And I, I talk with each person what they're experiencing, what their vital signs mean, what they need to do and not do, et cetera. But it's not unusual by the time uh, we've got a group that's two plus weeks into the process for me to say to someone, it happened to you since they were there yesterday and that since they, they, they went to bed the night before and they came out, something shifted where all of a sudden they look much younger. It's like an overnight thing. It's amazing how it happens. Mm. But you're probably you've probably heard of telomeres. Yes, yes, yes. And the length of them shortens as you get older. That's right. So so telomeres are the tails on the DNA, and they're getting shorter as we get older. Mm. And they get shorter by consuming excess protein, by consuming drugs and alcohol, by overexercise. Um, all of these things are literally aging us and shortening our lives. And there's one thing that's the, the most powerful way that's been shown so far to re-lengthen those telomeres. Guess what it is? Uh, it's not beer, so it must be the other one, which is fasting. <laughs> exactly. Well, the, here's the good news. You can actually accomplish some of that through sex. Okay. Sex lengthens telomeres. But the way that you, you significantly lengthen telomeres is by fasting. Okay. And so, and there was actually once, you know, I, you mentioned earlier, um, animal lover, that's important. I agree with you. I, I personally don't believe we have the right to experiment on animals. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes I'll talk about studies that have been done because they prove an interesting point. And there was a study, I think it was less than 10 years ago. They took a group of rats. They fed one group of rats cooked food one group raw food, and a third group was also fed cooked food. The first group of cooked food rats, they, when they, you know how dogs, they say a year is worth seven years to a dog, right? Dogs live a seventh as long as we do on average. I don't know what the formula is, but there's something similar with rats. So rats don't live, don't live 80 years. But when rats got to the human equivalent, the cooked food rats of 40 years, they killed an autopsy group. And their, their organs were quite diseased. There was all kinds of obvious uh, damage from aging and um, uh, oxidation, etc. The second group was fed only raw food. And at the equivalence of 80 years, they were killed in autopsy. And their organs were completely healthy. There was none of this damage. So that, that, that demonstrates dietary approach, an approach that I agree with. Uh, we have no stove here. I haven't had one for more than two decades. Um, I'm, Slightly. as you said earlier, mm. 27 and a half years raw vegan. Uh, I don't know if you can hear the rain, but we're in the rainy season. It's just started pouring, so hopefully you can still hear me. Okay. I'll turn my volume up a little bit. Um, the third group was also fed cooked food for the equivalent of 40 years, but then they didn't kill them. They fasted them. And then they put them on only raw food and at 80 years, autopsy them, completely clean, just like the ones that had raw food the entire time. Your body heals that damage and literally grows younger as a result of fasting. So in, in fact, you know, the one, the one other piece that is, I think, significant for many people, maybe helps people get their brain around this, the 2016 Nobel Prize for Medicine went to a Japanese... PhD in Yoshinori Osumi. And Osumi spent the last 25 years or so prior to 2016 studying autophagy. And autophagy, the word literally means self-eat, autophagy. And autophagy is how the body eliminates the garbage. Bad cells, you know, stuff that's worn out, uh, stuff that's damaged, stuff that doesn't belong there. This is all, this all happens through autophagy, the body cleaning out the stuff it doesn't want. What, what he proved was that this happens much more effectively and much more efficiently, uh, as they say in science, in starvation, in the absence of food. When fasting, this is what's happening. Right. When you're fasting, your body uses your fat reserves for energy, but your body also uses other reserves. I, I'm pretty sure it uses muscle reserves as well. And so it does. It does use some muscle. That's not good. But, well, of course, nobody wants to lose muscle. Although 
consider for, for a second, what if there's muscle that's less than completely healthy? Maybe the body's intelligent enough, and I think it is infinitely intelligent with regard to its own needs, to only consume what it doesn't really want or need. Now, I'll give you an example. It's, it's, a, it's a very recent example because six weeks ago today, I had a young woman arrive here from a Caribbean island, and she's a full-time athlete. She has sponsors. She runs the uh, Ironman triathlon in Hawaii every year. She runs marathons, and you know she has various companies sponsoring her. This is what she does full-time. And she came here because she had some issues and wanted to get a bit healthier. She was concerned about muscle mass. She lost eight pounds of muscle in a 21-day, 26, I don't remember now. It was 21 or 26 days. I think it was only 21-day fast. She lost, she lost uh, eight pounds of muscle. During one week of refeeding here, where there's a very specific protocol that we use, and going back, and, you know, the first couple days, not really doing very much, uh, still resting most of the time, as happens during the fast. You have to be resting as much as possible, as I said at the beginning. But starting on around day three, she began to be more physically active. By day four, she was doing some pretty intense exercise. And remember, I mean, this is a trained athlete, a professional athlete who's used to training. In seven days before leaving here, she gained six pounds of muscle. Now, I would have said that was impossible, except we measure this and use sophisticated equipment to measure muscle mass and body fat as well as hydration. And this is what happened. This is what we saw happening. So not everyone's going to experience the same amount of muscle coming back. And by the way, I mean, one of the things, you know, muscle, on the average body, muscle is about 68% water. I would suggest that it should be closer to 80% water, which is, my own is closer to 80%, 78, 79%. I think that's where we should be. That's what hydration actually looks like. So part of what happens during the process is we're losing some of the, the water weight of the muscle because the body's using water for every single thing, you know, for cleansing. Every single channel of elimination depends on water, the five primary channels, urine, feces, sweat, breath, mucous membranes. In every single case, things are moving on water. Without enough water, nothing's moving. So most people are going to probably lose a bit of that, and that's what happens. And when we put it back, there comes back some of the weight. Right? So something's just water. But uh, it's not just, it's not just the, the muscle mass itself. It's actually the strength and the performance. A few years ago, we had a young man from the UK who was a professional football player. Soccer, we call it in the U.S. But... Um, he had had his leg, one of his legs, badly broken, uh, a multiple compound fracture. And they said to him, if you break it again, you might not walk again. And he decided maybe it was time to retire at 32. Yeah. And so he came here to heal, fasted for 26, I think 30 days in this case, 30 days. And that's a 12-day refeeding process. Okay, it's a six-week process with 12 days eating again. About nine days into it, he came to me and said, I said, Ron, I can't believe how amazing I feel. I'm working out three hours a day. We have a pool. We have a giant trampoline. We have a yoga studio. We have mountain bikes. We have uh, exercise bars. Um, and we have kilometers of trails on site. And he said, I'm working out hours a day. I feel incredibly good. But I started wondering, how many calories am I actually eating? Because when I was at home working out like this, I'd be eating 4,000 calories a day. So I said, let me go calculate it. And I went and calculated and came back to him and said, you're eating around 1,300 calories a day. Now, he, he was just as strong, just as fast as he'd been before, and he was doing about one-third of the calories that he'd been doing in the past. At that stage of the process. I've got various examples like this. I and mean, we see the same thing over and over again. Now, a little bit earlier, you are talking about the experiment with mice, how the three groups and the biopsies were done on them at the end. And uh, it's found that the mice that fasted after having even the, the equivalent of 40 years of cooked food 
uh, had her healthy organs. Now, is this why people who fast regularly live longer? Yeah, fat is exactly right. I mean, it's, first of all, I don't know, I don't know how much research there is on how long people who fast live. Um, certainly, there's a lot of research these days on intermittent fasting. Yes. And intermittent fasting is a very different thing than what we're talking about here. I'm not, again, I, I hope this is clear to the people listening. We didn't really emphasize this. But when I talk about people fasting, coming here and fasting for 21 or 26 or 30 days or even longer, I've got a woman right now who's on day 36. Uh, I'm talking about going, in her case, 36 days without consuming anything except water. There's, there's no one or two meals per day. It's just water. This is therapeutic fasting where there's, there's no meals at all. Yes. I'm not sure that there's a lot of, I mean, there's, there's research on therapeutic fasting for uh, hypertension. And it's been shown to be more than three times as effective at reducing hypertension as anything else that's been tried. We've now seen more than 500 hypertensive clients and had 100% success eliminating hypertension. Right. It doesn't matter where they start. Um, I, I had one client we actually documented in a series of videos uh, seven or eight years ago where he came in at 225 over 135, if I remember correctly. Pretty seriously high hypertension. Mm -hmm. I mean, to, to, to demonstrate what that actually means, according to, to, to medical people, if your blood pressure, your systolic pressure is 225, you have approximately 110% greater, like, excuse me, 220% uh, greater likelihood of heart attack or stroke than the average person your age. Not good odds. And this guy was only 39 at the time, but his brother, father, uncle and grandfather had all died of heart attacks. And he went from being at a significant risk. In fact, he came into me at 39, already having had two or three mini strokes and having a significant amount of heart pain, as well as pain in his carotid artery, and thought, I need to do something right away. Right. And he went from having a significant risk of heart attack or stroke to leaving here with blood pressure somewhere around 110 over whatever it was zero risk of heart attack or stroke. Statistically, no risk whatsoever. That's what happens to almost everyone. Wow, that's remarkable. Yeah. So you know, we, we are literally healing the body, eliminating the garbage, the toxins from the body, eliminating uh, old plaque from the arteries, eliminating old mucoid plaque that's old hardened fecal matter from the digestive tract. Mm -hmm. And this is something that a lot of people say doesn't exist. We can come back to that if you're interested in talking about that. We're eliminating all this stuff from the body, and we're literally growing younger with this, these high levels of human growth hormones. So uh, we see almost everybody sees their vision improve. I have a young woman here now. She completed her fast. She's completing her refeeding this week. And she tells me, I mean, she came in practically blind. Without her glasses, she could barely see nothing. Uh, she, with, you know, with correction, she can read, etc., but she can see almost nothing without them. She said to me, she has not seen an improvement in her vision. Now, she feels infinitely better in many other ways, but vision doesn't seem to have shifted. And, you know, it's one of the things I point out is that your body is going to focus on what's most important to your body, and it can do many things at one time, but it can't do everything at once. So although we'll usually see everyone as with some improvement to their vision, if their vision wasn't already perfect, um, there are some exceptions. It's interesting you use the word focus for the eyes story. Now, what other, what other um, stories can you um, give us on people who have recovered from some form of chronic disease or condition? Well, um, I'd like to give you a sort of a cross-section. I didn't come prepared, except that uh, I, I sort of know a lot of this stuff. I don't have to really think too much about it. A little bit, yeah. Uh, so one of, the, one of the most interesting stories that comes to mind is a young man from the UK, from, from uh, Scotland, Edinburgh, named Stuart, who, uh, and we actually have a video on my YouTube channel. You can see an interview with Stuart talking about this, this process. But he contacted me several years before he ever came here um, 
I think on Facebook and had some questions, was very interested. He had been diagnosed with severe osteoarthritis at 18 Gosh. and had been, was in severe pain. Wow. And by the time I finally met him in person, he was 45, had been 27 years. He'd been on painkillers every single day for 27 years because he couldn't live without them. Okay. And we talked about the, uh, how this could heal him, heal him because nothing else had, had helped. He was willing to give this a try. It made sense to him. Uh, in fact, it was interesting is that he was actually completing a PhD on brain science. Uh, I don't remember the exact focus of that work, but it was very interesting. Neuroscience, he wanted to see what happened to the brain of the fasting person. And so he actually did some, some research on himself before and then went back and did some things afterwards. And I actually haven't seen the, the results of that, although I've heard from him uh, several times. It's now been... I believe three years since he left here. And let me tell you his story briefly. Um, he understood coming in that there was no medications while fasting. You can't take anything. And so he knew he was going to have to wean off these painkillers. He came to me on the third or fourth day, I think of his fast and said to me, I don't know if I can continue. And he was, he was crying. He said, I've, I've never been in so much pain in my life before without the drugs. And so I taught him a couple techniques to reduce pain. I think these are things that are taught to people with chronic pain. And I got him through this process emotionally. And he came back to me on the 10th or 11th morning, again with tears in his eyes. But this time he said, this is the first day in 27 years that I've had no pain. It was 10 or 11 days of fast. Now he completed a 26 day fast and the last I heard from him, which was a few months ago, it's now nearly, at that, at that point, it was nearly three years. It's now been three years, I think, since he left here. I think he left here in May or June that year. He has continued to have no pain whatsoever. After 27 years of daily pain, it's healed. Okay, there's, there's an example. And, you know, this is something medicine says, look, we got painkillers for it. That's all there is. There's no way to heal this. Okay, there's no way to heal hypertension. Uh, type 2 diabetes. Well, we've, we haven't seen as many people. We've seen maybe 75 people in 22 years. 100% success. Okay. Medicine says you can suppress symptoms. That's all there is. We got drugs for the symptoms, but you can't heal this. You can heal this. Our amazing bodies were, were intended to heal virtually everything. Um, and, you know, it's, it's incredible what happens uh, when you give it the chance. Uh, lower GI tract problems. I mean, I... I could talk about my own situation or many other clients, but Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, these are conditions. Again, medicine typically says, sorry, but it was just drugs for the symptoms. And we see almost everyone heal completely. Multiple sclerosis, almost now, multiple sclerosis is a little bit more intractable than some of the other conditions. So it doesn't always heal with a single fast. It always gets much better. And I, I remember a woman who came to me with, I think it was her right leg. She could no longer use it. She was sort of dragging it behind her when she walked. She would step with one leg and drag the other. It was interesting because when she fasted, when she fasted with me, we were in this place. I'm not sure if you can you know, see this well enough. There's a bit of glare there. Um, can you read it? Yes, yes. Okay, I'm not sure if it's reversed. To me, it looks reversed. Maybe you can read it properly. It says, Fasting Nature's Cleanse, Tanglewood Wellness Center. That's a three-story building, a 17-acre site in the U.S. in Maryland, uh, a couple hours from Washington, D.C. And you walked in on the middle floor, and you could go down or up. Everything in the back was walkout, so we had sliding glass doors. We had rooms on all three floors. We only had two guest rooms on the, on the main floor that you walked in on. You had to go up or down. And... When she got there, we had other people who needed those two rooms more than she did, even though she couldn't move one of her legs without her hands. Yeah. So she would walk up the stairs, she would step with one leg, and then use her hands to pick her other leg up, Gosh. and then take a step with the other. By the time she was a couple weeks into the fast, she was having trouble negotiating the stairs, and the, the naturopath on staff, or I, would carry her up or down to her room. By the end of the process, and she was with us for five or six weeks, I think it was six, uh, that's a 30-day fast. By the end of the process, she was walking up the stairs without needing her hands. She was moving her leg of its own accord. 
I had a young man in LA of Mexican descent who grew up in LA. And he, when he came to me, saying he was in a wheelchair and he could still walk, but it was really difficult and very painful for him. And by the end of his 30 day fast, he didn't need the wheelchair anymore. Um, I mean, I can, I can keep going for hours and hours because we've literally got thousands of stories. The body's an amazing thing. And, you know, it's, there's a couple of things you want to understand. I mean, first of all, you have to know what you're doing. Um, there's, there's a guy out there now, I can't remember, Cole Robinson, who's uh, promoting something he calls the snake diet. I think it's called the snake diet. And this is people fasting, taking, uh, putting sodium and potassium and other minerals in their water. And they're saying, oh, this is much better. It's much easier. Well, it's a lot easier, but that's because you're not actually fasting. By including those nutrients, the body doesn't go into fasting. So most of the people that are doing his protocol are there to lose weight. And they're on a zero-calorie diet. They're consuming nutrients with no calories. So they lose weight, for sure. But, but they're not getting younger. They're, they're not healing chronic diseases. In fact, I... I I've never met him and haven't talked to him, but someone told me that he recently did a video telling people that if they had serious conditions, they should come to Tanglewood. Because this, this protocol works for healing those conditions where that protocol isn't likely to have the same kind of an outcome. It, but for losing weight, absolutely, you can stay safe. And because the body does not need food, it's gonna live on its reserves and you're gonna, you're gonna take off a lot of weight that way. Right, so your body can focus its energy on healing rather than processing the food and allocating. Exactly. Yeah. Now, and we encourage people. It's not just again. It's not just about not eating. We encourage people to rest as completely as possible. So what happens here? There's a 10 a.m. meeting where they get a lecture. I want I want people to leave here. You know, as, as you said in the introduction, I'm now 30. It's like 32 years without a day sick. No, and and I I you know what's what started me on this path was I was very sick. We didn't talk about that. But I got very sick at, 30, at 23 after college. Yes. Uh, finally, later diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome, irritable bowel syndrome, chronic sinusitis, chronic uh, systemic candida, and 57 allergies. And with three years of medical care, I was getting worse all the time. Mm -hmm. And that's what woke me up. I finally, re I mean, I grew up outside of Washington, D.C. It's pretty conservative Medically, it's, it's a you know, politically liberal, but, but medically conservative town. You know, if I'd grown up in Southern California, I would have known that there were naturopaths and uh, all these other paths out there. Um, <laughs> you know, in Washington, D.C., I'd never heard of anything except a doctor. I didn't know there were other people out there. Yes. I didn't know there were other options. And so when I finally realized medicine was not helping me, it was making me worse. And, you know, today I can explain why that is. Um, the symptoms that people experience, the symptoms I was experiencing, they were evidence that my body was attempting to cleanse or heal itself. And what medicine does, and I would, unfortunately, I'm going to probably step on some toes and make some people unhappy here, but I would suggest that most alternatives to medicine are really only suppressing symptoms. And so those symptoms are part of the process of healing. If we suppress the symptoms, the body can't heal. We're making the body more toxic, and it still has the original problem. It just looks better. I mean, look at hypertension. Hypertensive drugs reduce blood pressure. Does it make people healthier? Well, some studies now say that some people will get healthier. Most of the studies say people don't live any longer. My father took hypertensive medications for the last 35 or 40 years of his life. He had five heart attacks and died of a stroke. They didn't help him very much. Okay. His numbers look good. He would actually say to me, my, my blood pressure is fine, son. He didn't tell me he was on drugs until the very end of his life. Yeah. That, that's what's going on. I mean, drugs are making people toxic and suppressing symptoms. And so, you know, what happens in nature is animals get sick and they fast. And um, it's, it's incredible what the body can do. So you ask the people live longer. You know, I don't, I don't know how long I'm going to live. Frankly, I'm not that concerned about it. I mean, my goal is to enjoy life while I'm living it. And, and for me, part of that is to feel and function as well as I can. You know, it's, it's not necessarily about what I do, it's about how I do whatever I do. Right. Um, we, we've talked about, you and I before the show started, you, you mentioned in the intro that I'm a motorcycle enthusiast. Um, we haven't talked about the fact that I've done 
probably close to 100,000 kilometers on motorcycles and on a number of journeys. You know, the longest was 17,000 kilometers over the course of uh, just under three months, um, traveling through 17 countries in Europe and, and doing what I love most, which is sharing this information with people. Uh, and, you know, and enjoying the journey. You know, they say it's not just about the destination, it's about the journey. That's how I enjoy the journey. I do it on a motorcycle, tra traveling through countryside. When I started out, I did all my, my tours by, by airplanes and trains, and I didn't really get to see very much. Right. And, and you know, this way, I actually get to see the countryside and stop and meet people. And, you know, and, and when I see something interesting, I can take a little detour, etc. cetera. But it's, it's about... In fact, let's use the motorcycle. Um, you know, I, my first long journey, I drove across the U.S. when I was 19 on an old Honda 500. And it was a, C, it was a CB450 that had been bored out to 500. Okay. And I started out. Okay. This is a seven, 71, yeah. uh, 71 motorcycle. I started, I was doing this trip in 1980. Uh, the bike was nine years old. It had some issues. You know, there were some, there were some problems. Uh, including a blown gasket and uh, some electrical issues. And I wound up having to stop a lot to mess with the, the bike. Mm. And the journey was a lot less fun than it would have been otherwise. Right. Um, these last journeys, you know, on this beautiful, it's, it's not a new bike. It's a 2003 uh, BMW, but it's an amazing machine. I mean, it's one of the, I think one of the finest motorcycles you can buy and it's been well-maintained. And so, I've never had to worry about those kinds of issues. You know, the way I think about this is, John, is that our bodies, we're not our bodies. I, I believe we're eternal beings, and that's, that's a personal belief. It doesn't matter if you agree with it or not, but, but the way I look at it is we're not our bodies. Our bodies are just the vehicles that we're using to go through the journey. Eventually, I'll trade this vehicle in for a different one. It's reincarnation. Um, in the meantime, I'm not my body, it's not important what happens to my body. However, how much I enjoy the journey depends a lot on what happens to my body. Over the last 32 years, my body's never had to go into the garage. I've never had to spend any money on mechanics, right? I just keep taking good care of it and it keeps doing what it needs to do. And the, the biggest difference between the body and the motorcycle is the motorcycle is not going to heal itself, right? It needs someone to go in there and fix it. Right? It needs someone to take care of it. But the body, if we make the best choices and simply give the body the time it needs to cleanse and heal, it's incredible what happens. Right, right. Intermittent fasting. Now, what is an intermittent fast? It's more than just um, the fasting most people do between dinner and breakfast time. I'm sure it's a little bit longer and a little more involved in that. Well, you know, you know it's, it's funny that you say that because just a few months ago, I was on my way to... Uh, I was on a lecture tour and I was on an airplane getting to my, my first destination. And in the in-flight magazine, it said, uh, it was talking about the new intermittent fasting scheme because people talk about, uh, you know, the, the most common one is called 16-8, which means you fast 16 hours a day and eight, eat eight hours a day. Mm -hmm. Now, eating eight hours a day means you can have your first meal at nine o'clock and your last meal at five o'clock, and that's intermittent fasting. Wow. I would point out that for most of human history, that was called life. In fact, most people couldn't afford to eat three times a day and probably had one or two meals and may very well have had a much longer fasting window every day. That was simply life as they knew it. It wasn't fasting, right? The new intermittent fasting scheme I was reading about, uh, what, I, what I do, and again, I mean, I've been doing this now for 26 years, long before the, the uh, term intermittent fasting was ever coined. I'll tell you, I'll tell you briefly, years ago, I'd, I'd met a woman. I was a raw vegan. I'd been a raw vegan for a year, roughly, uh, actually less, about eight months, nine months. I went to a natural hygiene conference and in the U.S., and I met a woman who was a raw vegan, the first one I'd met, and I thought she might be the only one. And so I hit her over the head and dragged her back to my cave because that seemed like the thing to do, right? I thought she might be the only one. Um, and we dated for, for a few years. It was when we first met, I was living outside of Washington, D.C. And she was living outside of Chicago, about 700 miles away. I went to visit her. And the first morning, she said, are you hungry? Now, what, the way I interpreted that question, it sound, sounds like a straightforward question. 
but I interpret it in a way that a lot of people probably interpret it. I interpret it to mean, do you want to eat something? I'd eaten every other morning of my life. Why wouldn't I eat that morning? Mm. Right? So I said, yeah, sure. Um, and she went into the kitchen and prepared some food for me. She came back with one bowl. And I said, aren't you going to eat? And she said, no, I'm not hungry. And I said, right, but, but you got to eat, right? She said, well, no, I'm not hungry. I said, yeah, but breakfast is the most important meal of the day. <laughs> right? I, 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 we all, we're all programmed. We're all, and, it's something we've all been told. And she said to me, when a slightly higher volume this time, Lauren, I'm not hungry. And I thought, what a novel idea, eating when you're hungry. Who ever thought of that? Right? I mean, in the natural world, this is exactly what happens. I don't know if you've ever, I'm sure you've seen nature documentaries. You know, I, I remember like when I was a kid, there was a, a program called, what was it called? It was uh, Wild Kingdom, Mutual Omaha, the insurance company sponsored this program called Wild It was on Sunday nights. And I remember one night we're watching this program and there at the watering hole, there are lions drinking water and just 10 meters away or less, there's, there's a gazelle drinking from the same watering hole. And I thought, but lions eat gazelle. How can the gazelle just stand there? Oh, because the lions aren't hungry. But lions don't eat unless they're hungry. People do. People eat because it's lunchtime or because they're bored or because they're tired or because they're unhappy or because everyone else is eating. They eat for a lot of reasons besides hunger, but the only valid reason to eat is hunger. Mm. And it occurred to me when she said that, I thought to myself, I wonder when the last time I was actually hungry was in the morning. I mean, think about it. At night, we have our last meal. Often back then, I mean, I might have been eating something at 7 or 8 o'clock at night. And then, you know, maybe we, we watch a movie or, or, or play a game or, or do, do something. And we go to bed. And then we wake up and we need food again. What did we do since the last meal? How did we earn that meal? Why is there a physiological need for fuel when we haven't done much except lay around most of that time? And I thought, you know, I don't, I don't think my body really needs anything in the morning. And that was the last day I had breakfast. I mean, there's, there have been a couple times where I've eaten something early, but that was 27 years ago. And I don't typically eat anything until I'm hungry. And that's usually around 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So my breakfast is 2 o'clock or later on some days, most days. And I'll usually have a second meal around 6. So there's a 4-hour eating window and a 20-hour fasting window. I don't think of that as fasting. Now, people have found that all kinds of beneficial things happen when they start eating on a, a more limited eating window. That's why I'd, I'd rather than talk about a fasting, let's we'll talk about the eating window. So if you keep that eating window down to eight hours or less, most people find they've got some benefit. It's not because fasting for 16 hours or 20 hours is so powerful. It's because if you're eating more than that, more than eight hours, you're harming yourself. You're burdening your body. You're making it do a lot more work than it needs to do. And when you stop doing that, you're going to feel better. So this new fasting scheme blew my mind. I was talking about the new intermittent fasting scheme, 12-12. Just keep your eating to a 12-hour window every day. I mean, you mean like six in the morning until six at night? That's insane. How, would, how does anybody think that's a good idea? but there are people that do it. I, I once worked with a woman and we were working via Skype and our first call I said to her, so how many meals a day do you have? And she said, what do you mean? And I said, what do you mean, what do I mean? What part of that's not clear? How many meals per day do you have? And she said, well, do you mean just during the day or do you mean at night too? I said, okay, I'm game. How many meals per day do you have in, 20, in, you know, in a 24 hour window? Yeah. She said, 12, I eat every two hours. I wake up at night and eat every two hours. That woman is gone. She was dead by the time she was 65 or 66. That doesn't work. Your body needs to be resting a good part of the day, and you wanted to work that digestive tract no more than you need to. There, there's actually hundreds of animal studies that show if you take a species and you dramatically reduce its caloric intake, it lives much longer. 50% is typical, 50% longer than the control. Mm. If you look at 
animals that, that consume more food, they typically don't live as long. And you know, it's interesting because most people, I mean, I don't know if, if you guys have talked about this. I know you don't focus exclusively on health. You, you cover all kinds of things, don't you? Mostly health. It is mostly, mostly health. Okay. So, you know, it, it, a lot of programs are talking about how you can increase metabolism. Yes. And, and most people think that's a good thing. I believe the reason why is because that means you can eat more food without gaining weight or you can lose weight without eating less food. You can eat the same amount of food. If you can increase your metabolism, you're going to lose weight, right? And that sounds like a good idea, increasing metabolism. So do you have a car by any chance? Uh, I've got a car, motorcycle, well, an e-bike and a bicycle. My favorite, okay. one, my favorite mode of transport is a bicycle. Okay, that's, that's good stuff. That's, that's definitely environmentally sound. Um, imagine for a second, let's talk about the car, okay? Because yeah. I think more people can probably relate to that. I, and I, it's probably different... Um, in the uh, metric world, I grew up in the U.S. I'm embarrassed to say we're the only country that still does everything in the old imperial system, which makes no sense, actually. But, you know, we, we talk, in the U.S., we talk about miles to the gallon. Mm -hmm. So for every gallon of gasoline, how many miles can you go? So if your car gets 30 or 40 miles to the gallon of gasoline, wouldn't it be great if we could go from 40 to 20? You probably don't, probably don't want that, do you? No, no. But that's what happens. That's what, would, that's what, would, what it would look like if we could double the metabolism of your vehicle. Huh. Because doubling the metabolism means you need twice as much fuel to do the same amount of work. Yes, yes. Why would anyone want to do that? I want to become the most efficient organism possible. What I want to do is have my metabolism. And I've actually done more than that because I used to consume over 3,000 calories a day. And now on the average day, I consume around 1,200. And I do just as much as I ever did. I don't do any less. I'm not, I'm not a couch potato. I'm not, you know, this isn't a recipe for like doing nothing. I work out every day. I'm physically active. And I work 16 plus hours every day. And yet I do that on much less fuel than I used to. Okay. Right. That's what happens when we become more efficient. Yes. So, we, we don't, if, and if you look at what happens in nature, I mean, do you, you have hummingbirds in China? Do we have, which way? Humming, hummingbirds. Uh, no, we don't. I have not seen them. So We've got one so we haven't seen hummingbirds. Here in Costa Rica, we've got 35 species where I live. Wow. Hummingbirds. They're amazing. Um, I remember once I was, I was sitting on, in an out, in, uh, not here when I lived in another place here in Central America. We created this outdoor bathroom. There was a toilet with a curtain and I hear this motor. I'm thinking, oh, someone's cutting the grass. <laughs> and then I remembered we didn't have a gasoline powered lawnmower. Right. The guys there cut the, the grass with weed whackers. And that was a very different kind of a sound. I thought, what is that? Mm. I pulled the curtain and right there on the other side of the curtain, there's a hummingbird. Gosh. It's, it's literally sounded like a, like a gasoline powered engine yes. because, because, they beat their wings up to 70 times per second. Yes. Think about the speed of that. That's amazing. Mm. I mean, I can snap my fingers maybe once every half second, maybe once a second. They have 70 times a second they're beating their wings. In order to maintain that level of activity, yes. they have a pretty high metabolism. They have to eat a lot. Yes. How much? Well, I, I, I'm not seeing much of you. I can tell you me. I'm, I'm 67 kilos, okay? Yes. If I were a hummingbird, I'd have to eat 33 and a half to 67 kilos per day, wow. between 50 and 100% of their own body weight every day. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to bet that you and probably the other listeners here aren't eating 50% of their body weight every day, let alone 100%. <laughs> okay? Now, think about how much work they're doing to process that much food. Guess which bird species has the shortest lifespan? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because the metabolism is so high and they can suffer. Exactly. Yeah. What we want to do, we don't want to make our metabolism so slow that we can't move like a tortoise or a sloth. Mm. You know, the sloths, I watched a sloth climb a tree once. It looked like this. Yeah. You know, they move very, very slowly. Yes. We, sh we should be able to do anything we need to and as quickly as, as, we, you know, as we want to. Yes. But we don't want our metabolism to be higher than it needs to be.
Right, right, right. I understand that. Now we've come to the end of the summer. Uh, the whole the whole talk's been positive. I normally ask the experts to say something positive because it's a bit of a, quite often the, the subject's depressing, but this one's been quite uh, <laughs> uplifting. So I won't ask for that positive statement unless you'd like to give one in. But I'd, I'd love to tell people how they can learn more, how they can contact. Um, sure. Sure. Uh, and I don't know if maybe you guys can, can add some links here, yeah. but you can, you can go to our website, which is www.tanglewoodwellnesscenter, and that's the American spelling, C-E-N-T-E-R.com. Um, you can look at our website there. We've got uh, links to all kinds of stuff, including my, my YouTube channel, which is YouTube slash Lauren Lockman. Uh, I've got nearly 500 videos up on the YouTube channel, including, I think, close to 100, which are interviews with clients who've been through the process. And there's some amazing stories there, including Stuart's story I told you earlier. Um, we also have a rather dormant Instagram page, which we're, we're going to get started again soon. Um, but, but the best way is probably to go to the website. And if you're interested in more information, you can complete a form and you can, you can say, you know, uh, I forget what they call, contact us, basically, and we'll, we'll get back in touch with you that way. So that's probably the best way to learn. Fantastic. Lauren, thank you so much for your time. It's been greatly appreciated. And I'm, oh, it's been a real pleasure. It's more than just hunger. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Everybody, that's our expert for this week, Lauren Lockman. Thank you so much. Well, I guess it's evening, is it, in your part of town, is it? It is. It's, uh, it's about 6.35. The reason I couldn't do this any earlier, any later, excuse me, I know it's early for you, is I've got another group of clients arriving any moment. I need I to go knew, out there and greet them when they get here. I knew it wasn't because you had to go and grab something to eat. I, knew, no. <laughs> I kind of knew it. I kind of knew it. Okay. Well, thank you once again for your time, Lauren. It's been Take care. Great to see you. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Yeah.